fill in one of these Connect cards. Joining a small group, lots of different things. Whatever you need, it's on the Connect card. Fill it in. We'd love to connect with you. So, we are very privileged this morning. I'm biased, and but I also agree. She's one of the best preachers uh, I've ever heard. My wife, Amy, she's going to come and preach this morning on our second part of Cautionary Tales. So why don't you welcome her this morning? Good morning. How are you all doing? Good. Good. Great to see you in church. Congratulations to those who got baptized. Uh, that was beautiful, beautiful worship, wasn't it, this morning? Love it. Well, it's my absolute privilege to continue our uh, series called Cautionary Tales. You know, I think so often uh, we, um, and rightly so, want to look to the heroes of our faith. Um, but I think sometimes, sadly, we can neglect to consider the lives of those who didn't make it. Uh, you know, it's, the Bible has so many great examples of people to follow, but it also has people whose lives and decisions, you know what, should be cautionary tales to us, right? And, and, and I've got a goodie for you this morning. Uh, have you heard the saying, uh, it is better to learn from someone else's mistakes than from your own? If only that were true, right? It's such great truth, but so often it's not the case, isn't it? We love to still make our own mistakes. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and uh, this morning, uh, I want to examine the life of a woman. And actually, she is unnamed. We All we know about her is that she is Lot's wife. So I'd like to call her Mrs. Lot this morning, like I like to be called Mrs. DV sometimes. Uh, but you know what? Her tale is a cautionary tale. It's got a tragic ending. And I think there is a lot to learn. Uh, actually, did you know that Lot's wife has the title uh, of being the first person in the Bible to have had a car accident. Wow, some of you, your brains are ticking over going, uh, Blondie up here, Amy, uh, there were no cars in the Bible. You are right, but let me explain. Uh, in Genesis 19:26, Lot and his wife and his daughters were um, provided an escape. They were fleeing their city. They could hear the destruction. They could hear the sulfur raining down uh, upon uh, the home of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says that Lot's wife, from following behind them all, she turned into a pillar of salt. Yes, she turned into a pillar. Come on, she turned. Dad joke. Should have left that one for Father's Day. Uh, courtesy of Mike. He told me to put that in there. <laughs> Probably should have left that one out, shouldn't have I? <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, you know, Lot's wife is actually mentioned in two passages in the Bible. So Genesis chapter 19. But I think what's of more interest uh, to me, certainly studying uh, this recently, is that Jesus mentions her in Luke chapter 17. And I think whenever Jesus, we need to pay attention to his words. You know how they're written in red? I think that's for a reason. And uh, I want to read to you Luke chapter 17, verses 31 to 33 in the message. And Jesus says, when the day arrives and you're out in the yard, don't run into the house to get anything. And if you're out in the field, don't go back and get your coat. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you grasp and cling to life on your own terms, you'll lose it. But if you let that life go, you will get life on God's terms. Amen? Isn't that good words? Good words to us today. Would you pray with me? I need some prayer this morning. <laughs> Father God, I just thank you for these moments that we get together together. I thank you for your people. I thank you for Fano and for family. Lord, that we have celebrated, we have worshipped you, and Lord, our hearts are ready 
to receive your word to us. And so, God, um, I just pray that it would be your words going through me, that you would use me and what you have shown me (laughs) this week. And it would be an encouragement, lots of wisdom to be learned in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, you know, Jesus is telling us to remember Lot's wife, not in a good way, right? He's not saying remember her so that you should do what she did. No, we don't want any pillars of salt happening around here, okay? No, he's saying actually um, that that there is a warning for us, right? There's a warning for us. You know, Jesus in this passage, um, if you read it, he talks about in the days of Noah. He, He mentions in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the day when I return. What is he saying? Be ready. Be ready. Don't look back. Uh, you know, hold the things of this world lightly because the things of this world will pass away, my friends, but true life with God, yeah, is forever. So much good stuff. And, you know, we find in this passage that, you know, Lot's wife, she hits a crisis and she makes a bad judgment call. Well, haven't we all been there? Uh, you know, uh, she disobeys God's warning and she looks back she turns back and and I was thinking I was like oh come on Mrs. Lot like you know you're from an amazing godly family you've um you know clearly uh, faith was important to you and you were warned like what's going on here and then I then I thought to myself yeah that is just like me that is just like me is that not just like us you know actually do you know that Lot's family weren't just warned once They weren't just warned once. They were actually warned seven times. Wow. Seven times in Genesis chapter 19. I encourage you to read uh, this, this story maybe this week. But just quickly, seven times. First of all, in verse 10, uh, Lot is pulled back into the home to protect him from the men of Sodom. Next, they are blinded so that they cannot see Lot in verse 11. The third warning uh, is that the angels gave Lot a chance to warn his son-in-laws, although very sadly they did not listen. Uh, The fourth warning is that they urged Lot to hurry, flee, move quickly from the city at dawn in verse 15. Next, uh, the angels actually took Lot physically by the hand, like that he was warned that much. They, they took him physically and removed him from the city in verse 16. In verse 17, he was warned to flee to the mountains. And lastly, the seventh warning in verse 22 was that he was allowed to seek shelter in a nearby town. Wow, that's a lot of warning. And you know, I'm just going to be really upfront. This is not a particularly nice message, but that's Okay. Actually, sometimes we need to hear these stories because they are cautionary tales to us. But I want to be really clear. This is not a doom and gloom message. Actually, this is a message of hope. Because the message of hope is woven through every chapter and every verse of the Bible. Actually, alongside God's judgment, I hope you're going to see with me by the end of this message that actually you're going to see with fresh eyes the incredible mercy of our God. More on that later. But I do think that it is a reality check for each one of us. I know I have had a reality check. And it's a good thing sometimes to have that, to actually know, hey, how much of the world is in me? Where's my heart? Where am I at? And uh, church, because Jesus is coming back. Yes, and that's exciting. And we need to be ready. Yeah? So although there's probably heaps to learn from this story, I've just got three things this morning that I hope uh, will be a lot of food for good thought 
what was I going to say? Food for thought is the word. So my first um, point this morning, my first lesson we can learn from Mrs. Lott is that our decisions determine our destiny. Oh, this is so true. Our decisions determine our destiny. You know, how you respond in a crisis time is actually what, how you have allowed yourself to become over time. And, and we see that so clearly with Lot's family, because if you go back six chapters in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 13 is where um, we actually meet Lot. Lot is Abraham's nephew. Now, Abraham and Lot were actually both very wealthy men. Uh, they had big families. Um, and basically, the story tells us that both families there was just too many of them to farm the land. The workers were getting disgruntled. That would not have been a happy place to be. And so very graciously, Abraham decides that they should part ways and graciously allows Lot to choose the land and the direction that he would go. Now, Lot looks out, but he's only looking with his physical eyes. And he chooses the best looking, most fruitful, most productive land to go and occupy with his family. Well, who knows that that was a big decision to get wrong, that outward appearances, that looking from the outside with our physical eyes, actually we can make some mistakes. And we see the mistake of that decision because if you fast forward 18 years, so it's been 18 years from Genesis 13, we're now in Genesis 19, and Lot's family have gone from living near Sodom to living in Sodom. And we know that because in, in chapter 19, the angels come to rescue and to warn Lot, and they meet him at the city's gate. Um, my research tells me that Lot was an influential man in that city. He was well aware of what was going on. He was well aware of the lifestyle of those people. And so we see that, you know what, our decisions, big or small, good or bad, they eventually catch up with us, don't they? Have you ever been swimming? Uh, I, I uh, enjoy, you know, our beaches over summer, and often I'll be with the kids, and even in shallow water, we'll be playing, and then all of a sudden it's time to hop out. And I found myself like quite a few hundred meters down the beach. It's like I've drifted and haven't even realized it. And uh, I, I got thinking, I actually think that this is what happens in, uh, for, for me, certainly, and in our life, is that we can drift. And that actually over time, uh, and we would have seen this with Lot, that you don't, you get a bit desensitized to life, to what's going on around you. And I think over time, Lot and his wife had drifted. They had drifted in their relationship with God, and they had drifted in their relationship with each other. You know, there's a really great quote that I love that says, what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. So true. The daily habits you establish will either set you up to fail or succeed. It's not what you do occasionally. It's actually what you do every day. This is actually a very powerful thought for good or bad as we'll, we will find out. I mean, I think about my own relationship with God and maybe you can too, is that there's been seasons in my life, uh, to be honest, the last 10 years having children, it's like, wow, busy, just such a change, um, go through stressful times, and all of a sudden, I miss one day with my time with God. But that one day turns into two days. The two days is three, and before I know it, a week's gone by, and then a fortnight, and then there have been some times in my, I know, I'm just, I'm a pastor. I shouldn't, I should know, you know, I don't always get things right. It's like a month's gone by, and it hasn't, I've lost my priority. I've lost my focus, and how easy, yeah? Can you relate to me? It's not just me, eh? We drift. 
Oh, good. I'm so pleased. The first service was very quiet. I would appreciate some feedback. Um, you know, if, if for those of you who are married or, or in a relationship here today, you start out with such great intentions in the pre-marriage advice, have date nights, set aside marriage time, you know, uh, keep investing in your marriage. We were watching our marriage uh, that our video, it was a video that we got converted to a DVD. That's how long we've been married, people. We were married last millennium, millennium. <laughs> 1999. Uh, but, you know, there have been seasons in our marriage where without even realizing it, we have drifted. And I'm really thankful for people in this church that actually hold me accountable. I have one friend that says, Amy, when's the last time you went out for a date? Not church-related. When's the last time you had marriage time? You know, talked about the stuff you need to talk about in marriage. It's so easy, isn't it? And we can find ourselves drifting. I think. I mean, this can be related to any any part of our lives. Our money, for example. You know, we we uh, might go to a course and we get a budget. But I like to call budget spending plans because that just helps me feel better about them. And you know, you have good intentions, and then you know you overspend once, but that once becomes a continue, and then you realize that there's such a thing called afterpay. Oh no, stay far away. Um, I don't have cre- a credit card anymore for a good reason. Uh, my husband has it to keep me on track, but we can drift. And what happens with that? The end result? Debt. And we just confine ourselves there. And I think that happens in life, doesn't it? It happens to me anyway. <laughs> Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Whew, that's a goodie. But I think where this all comes to a head, the drifting, is in a time of crisis. Because, church, this is what I figured out. In a time of crisis, you have no time to think about what you should do. I don't know about you, but I don't think in a time of crisis, oh my goodness, what should I do? No, I just do what I've always done. You will do what you've always done, what you've established in your life, you will do. And I share this uh, story with, with permission because your life values will come to the fore when you hit a crisis. It hits without warning. And we had a, one of our lovely families who call Elam home just recently in the last month had a major health crisis, husband really sick in hospital. And uh, I just caught up with her and she said, Amy, I don't think I've, I did very well. Like, you know, there's that verse in the Bible that says, um, you know, if you fall to pieces in a crisis, there probably wasn't much to you at all. And I said, I said, look, I probably would have done the same thing. But, she, but I said, well, what did you do? She said, I made two phone calls. I didn't think, I just made two phone calls. One was to my family and one was to my small group leader. She goes, I had friends saying, I wish I knew, but you know what? In the moment, I just did what I've always done. They are connected here. They're part of this church family. They attend on a regular basis and they're in a small group. And instinctively, my friend just knew, I just have to let my church know. And she made one phone call that was a domino effect because I don't know, you might not know that we have an incredible intercessory prayer team here. And so all of a sudden, not she just got her small group playing, she's got our intercessors praying. She's got Yvonne in her office. And when you let Yvonne know, whoa, watch out. She had meals within 24 hours through our loaves and fishes. You will do what you've always done in a crisis time. Our decisions, don't they? It's a really powerful thought. See this in a positive way. I'll get there in a minute. That our determines, the decisions determine our destiny. We're products of our decisions, aren't we? Not our circumstances. I, I think that is so true. 
And you know, I want to say, if you haven't been making great decisions, don't sweat it. Like, don't sweat it. You can start now. You can start after the service. You can start tonight. You can start again tomorrow. Okay? You know what? You make a change on a daily basis and you watch the domino effect. Your daily decisions will determine your destiny. God says, hey, repent, which literally just means I'm driving and I do a U-turn. Legally, of course. (laughs) Oh, yes. Hey, did I forget to tell you about my driving incidences? Oh, you see, this is what happens when you preach a sermon twice. You miss out things and then you add things. I'd missed out that whole part, eh? That's so fun. Did I? I can't remember. See, I'm just, I'm tired. I might need another coffee. But anywho's, we'll leave it out. But basically, hey, don't sweat it. Make a change today. Yeah, your decisions determine your destiny. I think that's a great lesson we can learn from Mrs. Lott. It's much more entertaining coming to the 1045, I can tell you. Right. Have a drink of water. Okay, I have to pause. I know you'd like you're just like wait for the pause. I actually haven't written in my note. Pause. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. My second lesson to learn from the lovely Mrs. Lock today is to look forward, not back. This is simple stuff, but it's powerful. Look forward, not back. Here at Elam, we passionately believe that God is so much more interested in your future than he is in your past. Your best days are ahead of you yet. Come on, as C.S. Lewis would put it, there are far better things ahead, my friends, than anything you could leave behind. I love that quote. I love it because I need to hear it a lot. And the enemy, we have an enemy and his name is Satan. And he wants to cause us to drag our feet, to hesitate. He wants to call us, he wants us to turn. He wants us to look back. He wants to keep us locked in our past. You need to know that. You know what? In this life, we will have weapons formed against us, but not, no weapon shall succeed. Yeah? No weapon that formed against us shall, shall succeed. It's one of the greatest things he uses. He wants to pin our mistakes on us. But you know what? You need to know Romans 8. And it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is our hope and that is our promise. And I read this great quote quote yesterday. When your past calls, don't answer because it has nothing new to say to you. How good is that? When your past calls, don't answer it because it's got nothing new to say. And there are many characters in the Bible who did fail, who did make mistakes. But one that I uh, take inspiration from is uh, Paul in the Bible. He used to be called Saul. Uh, You may have heard of him before. He was the one that persecuted and killed Christians. And then he met Jesus and his life was turned around. You know, if anyone had cause or reason to be stuck in his past, it would have been Paul, right? Mike was just saying to me this week, Amos, imagine, you know, he's he's off now doing God's will, passionately in love with Jesus, planting churches, very possibly in places where he has killed family members. Like that would have been a reality for Paul, but he didn't let his past dictate his future. Some of you need to hear that this morning. And he was a good, righteous Jew, thinking he was doing the right thing. 
And I think, yes, he probably had those moments of regret, as we all do, and that's normal. That's normal to have. But he had found such freedom and hope in Jesus. And I think Paul would often talk about the righteous things that he, that he would be doing as nothing compared to what Jesus had done for him. He didn't let his past uh, dictate his future, nor did he let his successes elate uh, his, his, you know, who he was. And I love, I really want us to consider Philippians 3.12. Uh, verse, sorry, Philippians 3, 12 to 15, and this is Paul saying, I don't mean to say I've achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it all, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. If we can learn one thing from Mrs. Lot is that we need to leave the past behind us. But you know what? If you have gone through things, trauma, maybe grief, maybe severe disappointment, hurt, some bad choices, deal with your past. It doesn't mean that you don't deal with it. Mike talked about that last week. Get some help. There's no shame in getting help. If you've heard my story through mental uh, wellness, you would know that I got some help. I got some Christian counseling, and it was the best thing I did. We have an amazing Christian counselor here on site, an amazing ministry team on Thursdays. You can book in to see them anytime. We're here to help. But once you have dealt with your past, leave your past behind. Look forward, not back. If I can just be really real in this point about looking forward, I, I don't have a problem actually going to God and asking for forgiveness. And I actually have no problem going to people if I've wronged them. If you know me well, I apologize way too much. <laughs> like, that's just who I am. But you know the person that I struggle to forgive the most? Me. I struggle to forgive me. I'm a perfectionist by nature. And I think that is that has some wonderful strengths, don't get me wrong. But I struggle to let go. I was even questioning the first service this morning. I had to preach this message to myself to say, Amy, it's gone. Learn from it, but let it go. It's okay. You get another shot at the 1045. <laughs> you know, hallelujah <laughs> for multiple services. <laughs> when your past calls, don't answer because it's got nothing new to say. Look forward, not back. And if the team would like to come. My last um, lesson to learn from Lot's wife this morning is to choose to be wholehearted. Make a choice to be wholehearted because you know what I see in this story is that Lot's wife was half-hearted. Somehow in the time that her family had moved to Sodom, Sodom had moved into her heart. Ouch. Yeah. Her heart was so strongly attached to that place. You know, maybe as she was fleeing that destruction and she could hear it, it's like she was thinking about her, fa- her fa- the rest of her family, friends, her home. You know, I don't know what she did for, for a living, but you know what? She'd allowed that place to take first place in her life. Her heart was divided You know, I think she preferred the pleasures of this earthly life to the blessings of God's kingdom. And in doing so, she forfeited her escape. You know, finally, Lot gets the message to run. All those warnings, and they are running. 
But this is what it tells us about Lot's wife. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him. There's a Hebrew word for behind is a car. And it doesn't just mean like someone's like, you know, like riding behind. She would have, from my research, been quite some distance back. She was lingering. Her, the heart attachment was so strong. I actually believe that Lot, a Lot's wife's disobedience was not so much in the physical act of turning, but it was in what turning around indicated. It indicated that she had a divided heart. And I think that is a great warning for us. Let's learn from her mistake here. Let's not make that mistake. And you know, I've been there. You know what? And we don't sweat it and we start afresh and we start again. But you know, it can pull us away. The world, I think it teaches us, can divide our heart. It can get a death grip on us, can't it? It can pull us away from God and what's most important and our eternal perspective. Some of you might be struggling with that very thing right now. Maybe you're in a relationship and God isn't first. And you know what? Your heart is attached. Maybe for some, it's what you do. It's your work. It's maybe money. It's importance. It's status. All those things in themselves, please hear me, are not bad. They're only bad when they take us away from what matters most. When we are clinging to those things and not letting go and doing things God's way. We all face the challenge of living in the world, but not letting the world get in to us. We are here to be salt and light, not a pillar of salt. We were joking in the office this week that we wonder how long Lot's wife was in that form of a pillar of salt. Did people come and break bits off her? Did they come and sprinkle it on their flatbread? We don't want to be that kind of salt, right? This is the kind of salt we want to be. Matthew 5. 13. Oh, I love this in the message. It says, let me tell you why you're here. You are to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Let's be the kind of people that beautifully season everywhere we go. Yeah. That bring out the beautiful God flavors, people that are in this world. But you know what? But our hearts are fully set on God and his plans and his purposes. How do we avoid a divided heart? 1 John 2, 15 gives us a key, a few keys. I love the Passion Translation. It says, don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in the loving the things of this world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all that God can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the world, the obsession with status and importance, Whoa, hello, is this talking to us in 2018? None of these things come from the world, Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are in the process of passing away. But those, come on church, those who love to do the will of God will live forever. Isn't that beautiful? You know, one of my lovely friends says this to her teenagers often. Your eyes and your ears are the gate to your heart. And I was like, write that one down for a few years' time, your eyes and your ears are the gate to your heart. Watch what you watch. Watch what you listen to. Ask yourself this question. What's my heart getting attached to? You know what? Is my heart divided? It's a good question to ask on a regular basis. Lord, I just want to be wholehearted and 
following after you. There's a, a, a neat verse in Chronicles. It's not in your notes, but it says the eyes of the, of the Lord search to and fro in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Yeah, choose to be wholehearted. And you know, just as we sum it up this morning, I want to bring us back to this beautiful thought that if you didn't know, that this is actually the first place in the Bible where it talks about how God is a God of mercy. And I don't know if you know that. Mike and I have been to Bible college, and they teach you these amazing things, and they teach you about the law of first mention, which is that when a, when a word is mentioned for the first time in a Bible, take note, like pay attention, because it's going to set up a precedent for what God wants to do throughout the whole Bible. Genesis 19.16 in the New King James while Lot lingered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. You know, the angels didn't appear because of Lot's prayers. Do you know why they appeared? Because of Abraham's prayers. Abraham had prayed, God, would you spare that city for about 50 righteous people? And he went all the way down to 10. You can go back and read the story. He would have saved those two cities for about 10 righteous people. But you know what? They couldn't be found. But you know what? He still saved Lot's life. And he offered that same salvation to his wife. And it, it breaks my heart, you know? And, and I think it is, it should. And I think the mercy of God is an incredible thing. It's to be spared from judgment, to be saved from harm. I wear this necklace around my neck and it says, Mercy and Truth. I got it as a gift, but I love it because in Proverbs 3, it says, let not mercy or truth depart from your life. Forsake it not. Bind it around your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart. Friends, I just throw out another thought in our response to the way we live. Are we showing mercy? Maybe sparing our judgment because, hey, we've all messed up, right? We're all in the same boat. But I tell you what. All I could see in the story, all I could see all week was Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. He just screams at me from the sermon, our King, our Savior. Because mercy has a name and his name is Jesus. This story, the city of Zor, where the angels allowed Lot to escape to, is actually a picture of what Jesus has done for each one of us. My friends, he extends that same mercy to each and every one of us. Have you received it? It's a free gift. We receive it by grace, which is his undeserved favor and kindness by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus was God's rescue plan. He is mercy personified. He came because each one of us have messed up. We've made mistakes. And you know what? We actually deserve that same judgment. We deserve that judgment that we read about in Genesis 19. But because Jesus came fully man, fully God, he gave his life he died for my sin and your sin, and he rose again to give us life, life and purpose in this world and life forevermore. And I don't want to finish my message without giving people a, an invitation to accept Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe there's people sitting here today and you have drifted over time. Don't sweat it. You're never more than one prayer away from getting your life right with God. You can do it today, right now. Make a great decision today.
Yeah, because your God loves you. He is a God of love and mercy and grace. And all I can see in this story is just the incredible mercy of God. So I hope that you can see that too. And what we do here at Elam is we love to pray together. You can just repeat after me and we pray out loud as a family. So if you want to receive Jesus for the first time or coming back to him, let's do that now, yeah? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Today I make you Jesus, the Lord of my life. I believe you died for me to forgive my sin. I believe you rose again to to give me life. I receive this life. Please forgive me. I receive your mercy in Jesus' name. And with every head bowed and eye closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, coming back to God, would you just do something really brave for me? Would you just give me a wave? Lift your hand up just quickly so I can see it. Is there anyone here this morning? Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I believe there's other people. Thank you. I believe there's other people here this morning. God bless you, my sister. Pop up your hand. Wonderful. You know what? Maybe you prayed that prayer and you didn't put up your hand. You know, why don't you fill out the Connect card when Mike comes back? We would love to help you on a journey of following Jesus. If you've got any questions, you know what? If you'd like someone to give you a call, we're here to help you on the journey. Can I just quickly pray for you? And then I'm going to hand back for, to Mike. Because I think this is a, you know, an incredibly challenging message, isn't it? But boy, this is a cautionary tale I think we need to take note of, yeah? So Father God, I just want to thank you for those that responded today. Lord, to accept you, Jesus, we give you so much praise. Lord, that maybe for those that have drifted, and, and Lord, they know, we all know when that is us. And Father God, right now, we just repent and we turn our hearts back to you, Jesus. We make a fresh decision today to be wholehearted in our devotion to you, Lord. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our church community. May you be honored and glorified. May you help us to be ready for when you return. Help us not to cling to our life, Lord Jesus, and hold on to the things of this world so tightly that we miss when you come back. Father God, that we miss, Father God, the real and true and awesome life that you have for each and every one of us. So God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. What an incredible message. Yeah, we're going to take a moment now just to reflect, just to consider what God's spoken. I I really believe that that's a message for all of us. And uh, why don't we take the opportunity now with the Connect card just to to fill in um, maybe a prayer request or a a praise report. Maybe you can just think of something that God's done recently that uh, we'd all have to benefit from. We're going to receive our offering this morning as well. And as a part of that, we're taking up our offering for Bangladesh. Uh, this is a, a project, an opportunity where we can uh, sow into uh, 